Welcome back to Simon and White, the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, politics, and Christian White, and joined as always by Mark Simon. It looks like he's coming to us from a tropical location. Mark, where are you? I am down in Florida. I'm in Southern Florida right now. So, well, you could have said Bali or or yeah. jungles of Cambodia, well, and I would have believed. This is what it looks like at six in the evening in Florida. You know, I am not next to Mar-a-Lago, just in case anybody's asking. I am not there. His, 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 I, I'm a little bit further north. <laughs> you know, so. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good because the FBI is hogging up all the parking down at Mar-a-Lago. So. No kidding. <laughs> How are you? All right. Good, good, good. Well, um, uh, news as there always is out of China and Hong Kong. Hong Kong falling behind Singapore in a ranking by Bloomberg, uh, at least reported by Bloomberg of financial capitals. New York and London are still number one and two. Uh, who knows for how long, but Singapore, I believe, is three. Uh, Hong Kong falling behind. Dubai coming up. Uh, interestingly, the UAE has the problem of dividing finance between Abu Dhabi, the capital, and Dubai, the financial capital, but uh, clearly a, a much-deserved downgrade for Hong Kong. What else is going over in China? We have the lead-up to the China, the Communist Party Congress once every five years. This one will further uh, anoint Xi Jinping, the dictator, as dictator, as someone who will be able to serve a somewhat unprecedented third term for the first time since, what, Deng or Mao? Um, but Mark, it seems to me the Chinese really want to have their cake and eat it too. And I know you've, you've uh, said and, and written a lot on this, um, where uh, they sort of want to be our enemy, but they sort of want a whole lot of stuff from us. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that the business community has always relied on, at least when I was you know, doing business with China and I'm, you know, and, and seen for years is essentially this Kissinger type position where basically there are hardliners in the Chinese government and then there's everybody else. And so we have to make the hardliners pay attention and we have to have a discussion with them. But basically 90 percent of our life, we will do everything else with them. So, for example, we can trade. We can have their kids come over to go to school. They can come to Disneyland. Uh, they can do anything they want with our, our tech companies. They can list. They can do all these wonderful things. They can do anything they want. But we still have the hardliners, and we just have to not pay attention to them because China is no longer a communist nation, and they're really not aggressive. And that was the line for years. The Chinese are the ones who've told us different. I mean, Kristen, you often said, you know, you just got to listen to the bad guys, and they tell us what they're going to do. And, you know, what they've told us is this, is essentially, let's look at this now. Xi Jinping has been basically in power for, you know, coming up on 12. He's going to he's launching his next six year term. He's made the U.S. the vic, he's made the U.S. the evil person in what things? First of all, in Taiwan, the rhetoric in Taiwan with haunt with the U.S. is way higher than what it used to be with China in terms of like the conversation. For example, in the old days, basically the only time you ever heard a bunch of crap from the Chinese was when we sold arms, okay? Now it's constant. And it's constantly the U.S. is this, the U.S. is destabilizing that. Then when you look at what they're doing in, in the Southern Pacific, in the Solomon Islands, and also in Southeast Asia, where they're actually going out and they're challenging us. So you have that, and then of course there is Hong Kong, where Hong Kong wants to have what? They want to have a relationship with the world. Okay, financially, they want JP Morgan there. They want everybody to be there. They want all their businesses to do well. China wants everything to happen. But 
China through me and also, I guess, and but really Jimmy Lai, my boss, through everybody, China is doing what? I mean, the U.S. is doing what? They're basically leading a color revolution. So in other words, you know, you walk into a room and you say, oh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to do business with you. And uh, and then in the old days, I'd like to do business with you. And we got these nut jobs over here on, on the right, you know, these hardliners we have to deal with. Whereas, I should say the left. But, the, uh, but on the other side, you know, now we've got this situation where they're saying, I hate you, I hate you, I need you, I hate you, I need you, I hate you, I need you. In other words, it's it's not going to work, and it's, it's and it, there's no way to move forward from that, because there's nothing that they want to deal with us on now. So, for example, Hong Kong used to allow a very free and open press. They do not allow that anymore. There is open knowledge and open discussion in the international press newsrooms about what they can cover and what they can't. If you do a big expose on the Hong Kong democracy movement or on Xi Jinping, you're going to have trouble. That used to not be the case. That used to, it was pretty much wide open. So they've, they, and why are they doing that? Because basically, again, they want to have their cake and eat it too. It's a very difficult thing for the Chinese to understand. Over here, I think most of us are fully content that while Kissinger's not dead, he's basically just a, a, a stuffed suit over in the corner. There's very few people who give Kissinger his due anymore. I think one of the worst things about Trump in foreign policy, and I think Trump's foreign policy was overall a success, was this deference that Trump had to Kissinger, although he never listened to him, you know what I'm saying? But he gave Kissinger what he needed, the FaceTime, uh, to make money in China still. Kissinger, the Kissinger model is dead. There's no longer that model dealing with China. And people forget it was that Kissinger model that enabled U.S. business to operate in China. Because again, it was like we can work with the good guys and just hold off the bad guys. Now, that's, that difference is no there. There's no longer hardliners in China. They're all hardliners. And what I mean by that, there's no longer segments. Well, it's interesting if you take, and I know some hardcore realists and consider myself a bit of one, affiliation with the Center for the National Interest. Um, if you apply Kissingerian theory to China, then uh, take the world for what it is. And uh, what made sense perhaps in China during the Cold War when the primary adversary was the Soviet Union and it made sense to try and cleave off uh, communist China and we had just uh, lost in Vietnam or were in the process of doing so, uh, that's, that's very different than the situation in 1991 and different than the situation uh, in 2000 when China got into the WTO and certainly different than 2016 or today. Um, so it's, it's interesting that, that some people aren't adapting, but most people seem to be looking ahead. We're seeing some of the year, I mean, we still have midterm elections to get through in November, but we're starting to see some of the, uh, early cumulus clouds of the storm coming of the 2024 presidential election. Um, do you think just looking at the candidates, especially on the Republican side, that we're going to go a couple more notches into, um, skepticism on China? Yeah, I think I think there's there's almost no chance that it doesn't develop into basically a worse relationship. Um, I think across the board now, America has made a decision um, about Taiwan. I do not believe that Joe Biden is misspeaking every single time Taiwan comes up informally. I think in formal things when he sits there, oh, yes, that's it. But in interviews where he's asked the question, 
he, he's not that out of it. Three times he said, we will defend Taiwan. He's sending a message. It's the game they're playing. It's no different than when Reagan did this little, we're going to bomb you in five minutes and all this stuff. And then they, you know, the guys come out and walk it back. Or, you know, you make a hard line. I, I think it's become very clear that on the Democratic side of the aisle, um, in the, in the, in the non-crazy world, and on the Republican side of the aisle, I think Taiwan is basically um, a, a finished foreign policy sediment, but for really two reasons. Uh, the first reason is uh, Japan, and I think the Japanese are certainly going to fight. I think, you know, with, and I think it'll be with us, not without us, but I think because, you know, they'll, they'll move in, the Jap Japan will be attacked. And our, we don't have an option in that, that defense treaty. In other words, they get attacked, we're going. And the second thing is Southeast Asia, because if we do not defend Taiwan, we might as well just pick up and leave Southeast Asia because everyone's going to cut their deal in about five seconds. You know, it will be the 1950s Finlandization of an entire region and the U.S. will be out. And it's it's one of the things that I think people really have to understand. We do have a capable adversary there. And the idea that we can, well, we can still have, it's, it's why I hate fawn ops, these freedom of navigation ops. They're just, they're bullshit. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, we've, we've seeded everything, but we're still going to sail our little boat through there. You know what I'm saying? And prove that we matter. You know, the only thing those fawn ops are is a targeting exercise for the Chinese, because the moment they decide they don't want us to go there, you're not going to go. And it, and, it give, and, it, and it pushes you out of everything. How about some serious foreign policy and some serious engagement is, I think, what, what has to happen. But no, I think that really, when I look around, um, who are our potential candidates? Pompeo is certainly putting his name in there. Um, DeSantis, certainly moving in there. But also on the right, I mean, I, I, I have a real belief that there's, I mean, on the left, there's no appetite by Kamala Harris. I don't think Biden's going to run. I don't think, I think by Kamala Harris, I think by Newsom, I think by all these other people, what we're starting to see is a left that starts to understand that the appetite of the American people with China is to be a little bit tougher. And so I, I think I think it's not so much a political move. I think it's the people of the country. People have seen a threat in China now. They now see it. And it's 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 an odd thing. Right. Um, speaking of politics, let's dial it back, dial it back to the midterms. Uh, it seems like there has been a shift. I, I was uh, pontificating a few weeks ago that there have been two fake rallies over the summer. One was in the stock market, which I think was a bear market rally. That was the triumph of hope over reality. Uh, and the others was that that Republicans uh, were fading. The Democrats were surging that uh, what had caused Republicans to jump ahead in polls in the spring were just not that much of a, an issue anymore or were put in perspective and that the uh, uh, ruling that ended Roe versus Wade had energized the left and Biden's success in passing, or at least in getting to yes with Joe Manchin, another pork bill. Um, anyway, that seems to be out the door. If you look at polls and if you look at momentum, Nevada, not previously thought to be a strong candidate for pickup Laxalt, who it's a famous name in, in uh, Nevada politics. It looks like um, uh, the, the younger, the newer Laxalt who's running for Senate may have a pretty good shot. Uh, governor there, um, the uh, GOP candidate in Arizona, who was seen as sort of significantly behind now it's looking a little better. Um, and Pennsylvania polls show that Dr. Oz is, is now, uh, 
you know, certainly within striking distance, maybe ahead of Fetterman. I'm curious, uh, do you see this surge as well? And do you think it might extend to another place you've done a lot of business is New York, um, which seems sort of hopelessly lost. And you, you worry that that a lot of the people who would vote for change are actually just leaving the state. Uh, but yeah, what do you are. think? Do you think that there is sort of a Republican surge going on? I don't think it's as much of a surge as I think it's just basically a, just a constant momentum. You know what I'm saying? In other words, it really hasn't stopped. And they've had all these opportunities. I mean, you know, Lindsey Graham's brain dead move with, you know, um, abortion the other day on the national. I mean, what was he even thinking? You don't run it by your other senators. You know, that's not a very nice thing to do. So I think that this point in time, I'm actually reasonably encouraged that, you know, you look at Arizona, uh, McMaster is surging there. I think the real issue in Arizona is Mark Kelly, current Democratic senator, doesn't want to be senator anymore. I, I think I think he'd rather go out and make money, rather have a private life. You know, he's he's the guy's been to space how many times he's a fighter pilot, you know, sitting in the U.S. Senate where he's basically on the low man on the totem pole. You know what I'm saying? It is not an exciting place for a guy at this stage in his life. Um the other thing is, is that I, I think Vance is, is well ahead. The whole thing is, there's no way that you have Dr. Oz, who's not a very good candidate, moving up. Herschel Walker is now pretty much three or four points ahead in the polls there. And all these other Republicans kind of surging in, you know, what would be purple areas. And there's not a national move. People are not going like, by God, I'm going to go ahead and vote for Stacey Abrams, but I'm also going to walk over here and pull that vote for Herschel Walker. It's not the way it works. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've also seen, too, in, in some of the big red states, that's where their Democrats are really falling apart. I mean, Beto is basically just losing money left, right and center. But one of the other things that I think is so impressive here, and I hate to quote uh, Ramos, but, you know, George Ramos, Jorge Ramos, um, from uh, Telemundo or whatever it is, the, the 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 famous the famous Hispanic journalist, you know, who came from Mexican journalist. His daughter's actually pretty smart, um, unlike him. And you know, he is an idiot. Um, but but the fact is, is she's pointed out Hispanics are now flowing into the Republican Party, and it's not just walking; they're flowing. I think this I think this cycle down here in Florida is going to prove it. Look, <clears throat> I'm here in Florida. Today, I dealt with four companies, okay, and it's really construction work and things like that that I'm looking at, all Hispanic controlled. These guys are not woke in any way, shape, or form, okay? They want to earn money and work, okay? They like Florida. I had a guy in halting English tell me, oh, you come down from New Jersey. You have high taxes there. He knows, you know what I'm saying? The guy knows. What's happening across America for the Democrats is really a rejection of this race-conscious wokeness that only, I hate to say it, rich white kids who've never had a minority in their, you know, in their, in their world before think this is okay. I went to a high school that was about as multicultural as it could come. I think the white kids, I think we were about 65% in Falls Church, you know what I'm saying? But in, inside the inside inside that sixty five percent was I mean you know Lithuanians, Syrians you know it was a pretty pretty diverse group, and 
my point is, is like you can't really come down and say, okay, all white males and all this and all that are, are these things, such as the left does. And 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 the point that I'm making is, is that the left tries to put people in in, in boxes, and then they move forward on their strategies from that. It's theory. And the simple fact is, how many Venezuelans have come in, in the last year? A million. You think those people are down with socialism? You know, in other words, if you'd have moved, if those Venezuelans would have stayed in Martha's Vineyard, you put five, you put a thousand Venezuelans in Martha's Vineyard, it goes from blue to purple. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> we know how they're going to vote. You know what I'm saying? And so the thing is, is like the biggest issue with the GOP right now, and I still come back to it in New Jersey. New Jersey just got a new sex education guide. Okay, people are. It's and it's it's as crazy as you I can it's as crazy as anything as you've ever seen. It's just nuts, you know. But the governor Murphy, who's a Goldman Sachs, you know, Democrat who loves the Democratic Party and he's you know he loves the Mets and all that stuff. You know, he plays this role. He's getting out of the way because the woke. He doesn't want to get in the word of the woke. But who's really down with that in the recent immigrants that have shown up in in New Jersey? Nobody. But what did the Republicans do? When we had a chance in 2021 to run somebody, instead of running this wonderful Indian American, you know what I'm saying, a huge success story uh, coming to the U.S. For the, for, the, for the governorship, would have been the first, you know, Indian in the Northeast in a blue state. We, we ran basically, you know, a guy who basically had an oompa man with him. You know what I'm saying? Jack Valenti or whatever his name is. Granddad Jack. You know, he had his, his commercial was like watching a guy who's selling mobile homes. It was so bad. And there's no diversity. And where the party has no diversity, that's where we fall into the lines there. So I'll try to tie it together and just say, look, what I'm seeing in this tide, I think the thing that comes out of this, I'm not sure the Republicans take the Senate. I, I don't know if there's enough of Dr. Oz to really drive him over. I mean, I think he's doing well. But I think we'll do well in other races. So I think maybe we take the House by 30, 35, 40 seats, you know what I'm saying, which would be pretty good. I think we make inroads in certain places. But what's going to come out of this election for 2024 is this, is you're going to see, I believe, you're going to see the largest um, move of Hispanics and other traditional Democratic bases than we've ever seen. Not so sure about African-Americans yet. But certainly with Asian Americans and certainly with Hispanic Americans, we're going to see a giant shift coming up. I think it's going to I think it's going to be significant. This was their the only this was their whole plan. It was their big plan, but their only plan, too. Uh, and some people have been called racist for espousing replacement theory. But it was the Democrats plan, the idea that, oh, combination of millennials who incidentally are now getting older and not as liberal, uh, but that uh, growing Hispanic populations, less so with Asian and other minorities, that they're just going to, you know, be uh, be Democrats. And you saw it in California, what was once a Republican state. I mean, hey, Ronald Reagan won yeah, it I mean, twice, I'll... Richard Nixon won it twice, George Bush, W.H.W. Bush won it the first time. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you're from Idaho and you live in Colorado. I mean, you know, this is not, you know, I mean, well, I mean, diversity is just kind of accepted out there, you know, right? I mean, you know, your partner is Chilean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not exactly, you know, is, is, is that is that like the non-woke, you know, he doesn't count as Latinx or something like that? Or 
whatever it is. I, I, I don't know. I've yet to met, uh, yet to meet a single Hispanic, uh, Latino, whatever, who goes by Latin. I don't even know how you pronounce it. Is it Latinx? Latinx? I've met them because I've been on my kid's college campus and there's like women walking around with the shirts. And I asked one of my son's friends who's Hispanic, you know, what do you think of it? And he just, and he was like, and I think he knew my politics and he was like, he goes, he goes, it's ridiculous. But he's, and I think he was a Democrat, kid's a Democrat, but even he says it's ridiculous. Look, I, I got to tell you, I do believe overall that um, the real issue that we're going to get back to in, in the coming years is, is essentially the economy. We just had a 75 basis point jumps. Goldman is probably correct. We're going to get another one in November, 75 basis points. Then what happens in January or whatever? Do we, you know, do they skip December? See how that goes because of Christmas, which is not unprecedented. Um, and do they, you know, do a 50 basis point in June? There's going to be a lot of hurt and pain going on out here coming this year. Quite frankly, if I honestly, if I was the Democrats, I'd want the Republicans to be in the House. People say, oh, why would you want that? Because I'd want someone to own it. Because let me tell you something. Um, if the economy keeps going the way it's going and it's not recovering, 2024 will be, you know, as long as we run, they, they will pray that Donald Trump runs because that's the only guy they'll have a chance again. But I don't see it happening. I, I, think, I think we're going to be in such bad shape no matter who's in office, really, in the in 2023, I think it's going to be awful. I, th I think 2023 is really going to be uh, a significantly bad year for people. Yeah, it's interesting that the Fed chairman, Powell, does seem to be sticking to his guns, at least for now. The statement wasn't just we're raising uh, interest rates by three quarters of, of a percent, but also that we're going to continue shrinking the Fed balance sheet. That's this you know enormous amount of uh U.S. debt, mortgage, uh, mortgages, and sort of agency debt that they accumulated. They bought all this stuff up, injecting dollars into the economy, um, which created this huge ocean of dollars, which is still sloshing around today. And they're going to continue to let that run off. Uh, <laughs> the last time that happened, which was just a little bit, I think around 2018, 2019, the market tanked, the economy dropped from that 3% growth that Trump had achieved, started to look worse. Um, all this got blown away by COVID, of course. But um, it, it's sort of, it's starting to look, we don't have Paul Volcker. We don't have someone who's just going to relentlessly raise rates as much as necessary, if necessary to go above the inflation rate, just to get this under control. But we do have someone who eh, seems to be sticking to his guns, at least for now, the market bet against him, thought he would wimp out. The market was wrong and corrected as a result. But what we don't have is the other side of what happened in the early eighties, which is Ronald Reagan is supply side reforms. So you had, um, this uh, force of the Fed arresting inflation at the same time you were invigorating the economy's animal spirits with deregulation and, and enormous tax cuts. Um, so you're right. I mean, it seems like going into 2023, there's nothing great on the horizon. Basically, a Republican Congress, uh, unless so if it's just the House, can say no to Joe Biden as far as tax hikes and some of the crazy spending. Um, but they're going to have to get to some sort of agreement on a budget. So the idea and you know, Republicans aren't even running on tax cuts. So, yeah, you think we are pretty, pretty well doomed going into um, uh, the oh, I think 2023 is doomed. I think I, 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 I tell people all the time it's doomed. I can I can already see it in some of the guys I saw today who were very anxious. One guy told me, he said, his biggest problem is getting, getting, uh, getting um, material, 
ceiling tiles, for example. I mean, you know, uh, uh, roofing tiles. And he said in the past week, all of his past month, all of a sudden, his major suppliers have said, well, you know, if you're looking for this, we can change it because somebody canceled. We can move you up. You know, and that's because big jobs are slowing down. They're canceling and they're trying to now also just, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to, for example, I know one one contractor, he's moving away from overtime, massive overtime, you know, for his guys because he's trying to get them back out so he can stretch his book of work out longer. The people on the ground see this a lot quicker than other folks. And, you know, and I, I think what's going to happen, we're going to have real problems. And then there's the other thing, too, is like my younger brother, he's a health nut, as you can see, I am not. Um, my younger brother, the health nut, he had a comment to me the other day. He said, you know, Mark, I buy a lot of these big mash, these big baked potatoes. He said, that's like my kind of go-to carb thing when I want. He said, you know, I noticed the other day, he said, I'm buying, he buys like these one of the, you know, like the bag of eight top quality, whatever. He said, you know, that bag used to cost me $6. He said, now that bag cost me 11. And he said, you know, and he said, that's hurting. And, you know, when you're talking to people and you're seeing people, you know, I talked to some, I talked to, we, I, I donate money to a, uh, a food bank. And, you know, you can see in the emails that you're getting, you can see in the things happening, they're getting a little bit more business. They're getting a little bit more people coming by. And the people are worried. Now, part of that, by the way, in our area, that I'm the area I'm going into, is because of a lot of these new illegal immigrant migrants who essentially show up, you know, and, and we can talk about that later, about how they come in. But, yeah, I mean, you've, you're going to have by September 30th, you're going to have 4.7 or whatever million people who've come in in the last since the Biden administration illegally. These people, are, a lot of them are still struggling quite a bit. You know what I'm saying? And so they're draining, they're draining the lower level resources, uh, the on the street resources, the food banks, the, you know, that the housing of homeless and things like that. They're putting a lot of pressure on on these systems. That's why in New York City, they're flipping out, you know, and uh, of course, Martha Vineyard is a different story. But no, Kristen, I, I think we're going to see a lot of pressure. Um, and I think I think that's going to be uh, I think that's going to change. And we'll see what happens in 2022 and this fall. I, I, I'm confident, like I said, the Republicans will take the House. I think that surge is moving along there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in other places. And by the way, one other thing for foreign investors, watch who won, wins the governorships. If Whitmer wins in Min Michigan, sell Michigan. It's almost like that. It's almost like you're going to have to play around. Abbott is going to win in Texas. DeSantis is going to win in Florida. Kemp's going to win in Georgia. You know what I'm saying? These people who are winning these seats, these governor's seats, these Republicans, they are not going to pull a Chris Christie. No one's going to go and, like, you know, all of a sudden start running a national campaign and start getting liberal. DeSantis will probably start running, but he's going to stay with the same policies that he's had. And you're going to have Yunkin. And there is going to be an exodus like people have never seen from some of these blue states coming up as the blue states double down, especially places like Illinois. New York, unless Zeldin, Zeldin wins, I hope he wins in New York State. I think there's a good chance he will. If he does, that could fix a lot. 
you know. Yeah, certainly stop some of the damage. You'd be dealing with an extremely hostile state legislature. You know, this is sort of the problem of Chris Christie or when Arnold won in California, um, when uh, Pataki was governor in New York, I guess he was the last Republican governor. He had at least one house uh, in the legislature on his side for a little while, if memory serves. Although, frankly, in Albany, uh, <laughs> you have Republicans and Democrats, yeah. and they all seem depressingly to They're all corrupt. <laughs> They're all corrupt. <laughs> There's that. Um, but uh, eh, it's better than the opposite, Opposite, uh, which is, um, you know, if you have a somber piano player in the whorehouse as opposed to one who's uh, a lausch, then, uh, you know, I guess that's a, a positive. Well, you know, w w one of the things is, is you can also bring New York back to what we were talking about with Hong Kong, you know, being, was it number three and number, number four now, whereas you have New York, London, Hong Kong, Singapore. Really, one of the things you get if Elise Zeldin wins is when you look at these financial centers, I've always kind of looked at it in a different way. So, for example, if you look at New York, New York is really a financial hub. And what I mean by that is, like, it's got everybody. It's got Warren Buffett out there. It's got all these people in Chicago. And everything, like, comes up through, like, this pipeline throughout the country. You know, it's connected throughout all of the country, including including Canada, you know what I'm saying, and also Latin America and stuff. It all comes up through New York. There's a free flow up through New York because you've got basically, in most parts, you've got democracies, you've got capitalist systems, although we question Canada. You know, we've got all these, we've got, we've got, we've got the system that flows up. New York, London has what? London has Europe, okay? And so all of Europe kind of flows up through, can flow up through London. In fairness, Singapore actually has Southeast Asia, even India a bit, you know what I'm saying? But Dubai doesn't really have that much other than oil money coming in. And Hong Kong has nothing. Hong Kong is like this rock and around it is all rock on the outside. There's no pipes that are going into China that are feeding things is other than what? Money. And people say it only takes, it, it, money's what matters. No, it's not. There's a lot of things that make a financial center. So if Lee Zedlin can, Zeldin, whatever his name is, if he can win in New York, he can stop this crazy tide. If not, Kristen, if not, I, I suggest that New York is not a needed place for the U.S. financial system. In other words, the idea... That whole network. Let me jump in. Let me jump in because I, you know, I worked uh, as an intern. I'm dating myself. This would be oh, a long time ago. In the summer of 95, junior year, I was at Oppenheimer and, and Co. when it was still just a normal bulge bracket, bulge bracket, just normal investment bank. It wasn't as big as uh, Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch, but it did everything. Um, and even then, I thought, wow, just the price of doing business in New York, the annoyance of, of being here. Um, you have these huge commercial banks like Bank of America, which was gobbling up other commercial banks that eclipsed the size of the investment banks. And then um, you had the Clinton era reforms, which did away with, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but the, um, the depression era law that said that investment banking and commercial banking were separate. That was worn down. So I thought, oh, this is a no brainer. I mean, they're going to take the name and they're going to move it to Charlotte and Charlotte's going to be New York. Didn't happen. Hasn't happened, but maybe it is starting to. And Miami is turning up Palm Beach, a little bit south of where you are, yeah. as a huge fund for the hedge hedge fund guys. Um, San Francisco, not the city, but the peninsula, um, still just with the amount of, of tech money out there. Um, so, do you think, basically, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying New York actually, if if 
if Zeldin is elected, if he calls off, you know, hopefully this attorney general uh, goes as well. I don't know if she's up for election, but perhaps he yeah, can at least put a, um, a crimp on, on her anti-business activities. Uh, and you could stop this diffusion of American finance across the uh, fruited plain. I think if they don't get him, I think it's over. One of the things that people forget that was really disheartening that's what and it's going to happen is really in New York City, the primary is the actual election. In other words, there's no there's no general election. It's a primary, the Democratic primary. Look who won in the Democratic primary in New York City. All hard left candidates, all anti-business, all people. And, you know, the thing is, like I'm saying, you know, I am pretty close to West Palm Beach. And I'm telling you, the place is filling up down here. Um, and the reason why is people know what's happening. You're in Colorado. People are going to be looking at L.A. and San Francisco. You know, one of these days, Gavin Newsom is going to run out of IPO money. I've, I'm a firm believer in that. You know what I'm saying? And once that happens, once it starts to go down, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it's like Apple. The greatest mistake Apple ever made, in my mind, was building that monstrosity of a headquarters that now they just don't know how to get out of, you know, and, and they, they and, and they can't, their employee, their employees don't, the best employees don't want to live there. And so the thing is, is it, you had a very good term. You're very correct. There's a diffusion. So the way I look at it is right now, the oil head in New York is open and it's, it's, it's popping out, but you know what? That system that's all over, as you use the term fruited plains, that stuff can pop up anywhere now. And so the simple fact of the matter is, why is it necessary, other than for the morning show on CNBC, why is it necessary to be in New York City to do a deal? It's not. And yeah, New I, York I, City I, I still don't know what those traders are doing on the floor. I didn't know really what they were doing back when they were actually trading. I sort of did, you know, like in trading places when it was still commodities and you'd scream something and someone write down your badge number and all that. But uh, things happen like that now. And I guess with big blocks, then they say, OK, maybe a human in the loop does things. But I look at these and, and I love CNBC. They have the frowny face when the market is down and they have the happy face traders when the market's up. And I, I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> I, I, I think so much of it is just it's it's theater but in fairness to them it's very effective theater you know it's basically people walking through ringing the bell at the nasdaq you know doing this doing this doing all these things you know here we are down at the nasdaq or down at the nyse and it's like you know so be it this is this is this it's and and it's 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 theater but these guys they they have this conceit and it's a journalist conceit about new york is that somehow if we're here you have to be here and I'm telling you, that's not the case. And Hong Kong is going to learn that, too, is that they as they're putting up barriers around the city, they don't really understand the problems of what they're having. In other words, there's really no fruited plain. It's like the gray, dark forest of, you know, some bad Disney film across that border. You know, there's nothing coming over there. And uh, and, and as Dubai can tell you is oil money can pump in all day long, but that still doesn't pump in economic activity and power. You know what I'm saying? An economic creation. So I, I, I myself, I, I'm, I think there's a lot of reasons why things should go there. And also, I'm trying to remember the political guy who said, you know, I can't remember the political theorist who said, you want your enemies in your boat with you when you're going over the falls. You know what I'm saying? So, so in 2023, you know, you want Joe Biden wants to be able to stand there. I cannot get Speaker McCarthy to work with me on these bills. And then people go, oh, this is Republicans who are causing all this problem. 
if it's all Democrats and that hill's going over, you know what I'm saying, then that's it. And by the way, I mean, I'll show my colors here. It's one of the reasons why I just think that Trump is such a distraction. Um, I, I saw his interview the other night on Hannity just because I wanted to see it. And the president's not talking to the American, the former president's not talking to the American people anymore. And he's basically talking his book. You know, it's his issues. It's about him that if you don't if you don't save him, I'm fighting for you. You've got to save me. I don't see that happening. I think people are seeing San, you know, DeSantis basically coming up. I think people are seeing other governors do things. Um, in Virginia, for example, I can tell you right now, without a doubt, in Virginia, Yunkin would win. You know, people are that happy with him right now. You know, other than the guys who are driving up and down the street with their Trump flags and their pickup trucks. And I mean that as an insult, if people really know that. I, I really mean it. Would, would you just get out of the truck? Would you stop waving the flag and set up a voter registration booth or something? You know what I'm saying? Do something other than jump up and down and scream. I've never seen anything like it. It's the one thing I'll give the, the Bernie Sanders people and the Democrats. One of the things that I'll let you go, but one of the things about Bernie Sanders in 2016, I was out there when I was still helping Apple Daily arrange coverage for the election. You know what I'm saying? The Bernie Sanders people were incredible. They were, it was like February 2016, and they're out there registering people. And it's one of the things that people really don't understand about Bernie. Bernie is not just the left-wing socialist cause. He had a lot of people out there registering voters who became his supporters, you know? And I think that's the problem with Trump. All I see with Trump now is basically I've collected $140 million, $135 million, and I'm not spending a nickel. So you know, on, 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 on mid-level candidates, which is kind of a confusing point at the end of this, but you know. <laughs> well, it's a confusing system. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this episode, but we'll be back again with another edition of Simon & White. And if you like us, please subscribe. We'll be back again soon.